There's like a game that we got to talk about. I think there's two games that we got to talk about. Um, baseball's over. So that means this podcast is folding in about an hour. Jack, Peter, Aram. Real talk, we might actually be the only podcast that's more excited for the offseason than we are the yep. actual MLB regular season. Uh, just because we get to play the what if game for five months, which is electric. Uh, just baseball show Monday, November 7th. The Astros have won the World Series. We're going to talk about the Astros taking down the Phillies in six. Um, Pete, you had Phillies in seven. Arm and I had Astros in seven. So we can all suck eggs. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the first $100 million deal for a relief pitcher. Uh, but we also, before we get to Edwin Diaz, want to talk about some things that are going on within the Astros. Where it is paradise. It is a dynasty. Uh, but somehow they don't function in this dynastic way. But first and foremost, Jordan Alvarez hit a ball 450 feet dead center that left the bat 113 in a lefty-lefty matchup. Again, splits don't really matter to him. He's a fucking freak, is he not? Yeah, that, that wasn't at 450 feet. My stack cast brain model had that around 550. Yeah. That, that was thunderous. I mean, that's about as thunderous as a home run can get. You're coming in at 100 from Jose Alvarado, and it just leaves the yard in 0.5 seconds. But are we going to be the Monday morning quarterbacks of why they went to Jose Alvarado? No. I understand it's a lefty-lefty matchup. Um, runner on first and third. Um, you want to bring in your best lefty in that situation, but Jose Alvarado in these situations hasn't been the guy to lock it down for them. Um, I understand possibly going to a reliever there, but is Jose Alvarado the guy who has not looked as good and was the least rested? Jack, you're shaking your head. Yes, I would have kept in Wheeler. I know I would have kept in Wheeler there. He looked fine to me. And the problem with um uh problem with Jordan is the high heat. And Zach Wheeler was throwing 98, 99. He looked perfectly fine to me. Um I know it's easy to say that after the fact that you would have taken him out, but I know at the time. I had a pit in my stomach when he came into the game, and I knew at the time I wouldn't have taken him out. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I don't know if the problem was going to Alvarado as much as I think the problem, at least where I could see a little bit more of the the pushback is you know pulling Wheeler there. I didn't think he looks necessarily bad. Um, they, they got a couple guys on, and that was that. But he was only at 70 pitches. I would have liked to see him try to work out of that, but I get the short leash in an elimination game at the end with your back against the wall. Alvarado has been their guy since the second half started. And I mean, he's been one of the most dominant relievers in baseball, even though he looked a little bit shaky in the last outing or two, you got to kind of fall on that sword. If he's not going to get that out for you, then you lose the world series. It is what it is. Sir Anthony Dominguez wasn't razor sharp after that either. uh, Who's also been their guy. So again, it kind of just is what it is. The one side I do really kind of think about is, is Wheeler 
being able to maybe get out of that himself. That was clearly the wheeler that we've become used to, which was the 97 to 99 wheeler who can paint and, and really blow by you, but also finesse you. And uh, that was the surprising part to me is I thought it was a little bit of a quick yank to him, but it's because they really like the Alvarado Jordan matchup, which he took care of Jordan most of the time before that. And uh, you talk about high fastball being a blue zone. No one throws the high fastball better on that entire team than Jose Alvarado. So it, it, you could see what they were thinking. That was the method that worked for them to get there going to Alvarado in the middle of the game. Uh, but unfortunately he just tugged it down and it was middle, middle. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes pitching wise. You throw a hundred pitches in a game as a starting pitcher, you're going to miss your spot at least four times. I, I promise you that relievers, you're going to miss your spot once every couple outings. And Alvarado, here, here's the thing about him and Sir Anthony Dominguez in the back half of the season. They didn't really miss their spots that much. But obviously, they're human beings, so they're going to miss. Um, I didn't have a problem with the decision being Alvarado. Um, just because, and we talked about it earlier this series, they are co-aces in the bullpen, right? Like I said, Alvarado was the best guy in the Philly bullpen. Uh, Peter, I think you said Sir Anthony Dominguez was the best arm in the Philly bullpen. In reality, you can go to either. And, and I would prefer the, the lefty that throws the fastball at the top of the zone um, with high heat at the top of the zone being Jordan's kryptonite. But high heat, that's a dick shot. Any of the best hitters in baseball can send that into oblivion. And he did that. Um, the, as the Wheeler thing, I don't think it's comparable to like the Blake Snell thing. Um, I think Wheeler, yes, was he cruising, but once you get to runners at the corners and and you're in what bottom six in a in a must win game in an elimination game i understand why rob thompson felt pressure to make a change there if that wasn't an elimination game i bet you rob leaves wheeler in to see alvarez but i mean their backs are literally against the wall i i think that that definitely had something to do with that yeah, I mean, right now I'm looking up just because um, they were up 1-0. I'm kind of just on baseball savant looking up um, just like ground ball rates because all they really needed there, they just had to get the ground ball because they were up 1-0 after that Kyle Schwarber home run. Um, yeah, Jose Alvarado definitely had a higher ground ball rate. Um, I don't know. I guess in the moment I thought, I don't want to take out Wheeler. Look how good he looks. I mean, when Wheeler is on and th well, throwing the, with that velocity – I'll take Wheeler against any hitter in baseball. And Jose Alvarado, you know, over the full postseason, he has been um, one of the best Phillies bullpen arms. But in that World Series, he was really kind of the only guy to allow runs. Um, and he came in in those exact spots and already blew it. So in an elimination game, when Wheeler looks that good, I just would have stuck with Wheeler. I understand that if you were going to go to the bullpen, Alvarado was probably the decision because he has gotten ground balls. He is the lefty-lefty matchup. He does have that high fastball velocity, which Jordan has been prone to striking out against. But I just had a pit in my stomach. I just I felt like you knew it was coming there with Alvarado. So, But again, Monday morning quarterback, it's not like the Phillies then scored because it was a three-run home run. Phillies could come back, right? They could have, you know, it's three to one. The game's not over, but it did appear to be over. And then it ended up ending 4-1. So, 
That's, what if Wheeler gave up a double there to Jordan because it's Jordan, you know? So, it, it, and that's the thing too. I mean, it's like they, they scored one run and I, I they didn't really threaten much yeah. otherwise. So it's like, you're not going to win scoring one run against the Houston Astros. It's going to be extremely difficult. And I, the, the one thing with, with Wheeler is I, I felt like in that spot, it wasn't one of those where it's like, this guy's losing it. Like, yeah, he, he drills Maldonado, which, which sucks because that's the last guy on earth you want to drill. But then he gets he gets Altuve out, and then Pena has another one of those ridiculous like fight the ball into into center field hits, and and that's it, right? Like that's that's the jam, like that's the indication of this guy needs to go. That was the only thing for me is I thought it was a bit of a quick yank, but um, that's that's how they were doing it, and, and that's how they got there. And uh, testament to Jordan too, because I mean this guy was lost uh, yeah. really beyond the World Series and the championship series, and. Uh, aside from that home run off of Robbie Ray, it really didn't look like himself most of the the postseason. Two of them, we first heard. two games of the ALDS, right? It was yeah. it was the backside homer in game two, but it was the walk off in game one. After that, nothing. And and they were talking about it in the broadcast about how he was tinkering, like before the game under the tunnel, had like a bad batting practice session, like all those things that really sound brutal uh, and not something you'd expect from one of the more pure hitters in the game. Um, so for him to be lost like that, but still not miss the mistake, it's a testament to Jordan Alvarez and and how he can stay the course. And I mean that ends up being the difference in in the game. And and that's a guy that's slumping, and you felt like looked lost, and all of a sudden four fifty dead center, and that's that. Did you guys Here's- see the Twitter army of umpires um, after Maldonado for leaning in? I don't think he leaned in. I think he just didn't get out of the way, but you're trying to work your way on base. I don't know if you guys saw that all over Twitter. People are like, the Astros are cheating again. The Astros didn't are even cheating cross my again. Mind. I didn't even, and, I yeah, thought he just I, got I, hit. When I first watched it, I was like, yep. I mean, you just didn't get out of the way, but you don't have to get out of the way. You're trying to get on base, especially if you're Martin Maldonado. I don't think he leaned into it, but that I just wanted to kind of soften that for, you know, any potential listeners being like, he leaned into it. In my opinion, didn't look like it at all to me. No, I think we're good. Um, here's the thing, man. Yordan's 25 years old. Kyle Tucker's 25 years old. Jeremy Pena is 25 years old. Christian Javier is 25 years old. Luis Garcia is 25 years old. This team is like this factory, this big, bad machine. Um, it's fair to call them a dynasty, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it's Two super tips. fair. And, and the way they did it this year, right? So you've got Justin Verlander at the front end of the rotation. He finally got his first World Series win. But, uh, I, I mean, we've talked about it, man. We've got Framber Valdez, who signed for $10,000, this 21-year-old international free agent. You've got Christian Javier, who signed for not much more than that, right? How much did yeah, Javier not, sign for? Like 20, 20-something, I believe, too? Yeah. I, yeah, 10 like, or 20,000. Yeah, stupid, man. <laughs> and then you've got Lance McCullers, who literally just spins breaking balls every single fucking pitch. Like, he he does not throw fastballs to lefties. That's just not what happens. Um, And then you've got guys like Jeremy Pena. Dusty Baker said it best. A Dominican dude that went to the University of Maine. You've got Jordan Alvarez, uh, who was an afterthought for the L.A. Dodgers in a trade with the Astros. Like really, Josh the- Fields remember the name. Like, that, yeah, is, that exactly. still blows my mind. Still blows my mind. You've got like really the only guys with legitimate prospect intrigue on this team were Bregman and Kyle Tucker, right? 
this yeah. team, they develop so stupidly well. And they let each guy develop into their own unique character. I mean, we talk about Tampa. A lot of Tampa pitchers look the exact same, right? A lot of Guardians hitters look the exact same. The thing that's so unique about the Houston Astros is their development is second to none. And they all develop in their own unique way. Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, their pitch arsenal, the way they attack hitters, could not be more different. And here they are both thriving. This team has figured something out, and that's why they're a dynasty. They just get the most out of their guys, man. It's it, like you said, like to, to have the Framber turn into the best ground ball pitcher in the modern era. While you know you have somebody like, um, I I think the craziest part about it is is that they can preach different things. Like you said, you have, you have the Rays that preach the slider that really teach the slider and find those guys that all throw from different arm slots. And that's like what they do. That's their one differing factor is we have guys who throw weird in different ways. Uh, but when you have Javier high spin, like you said, and then being able to have Framber with the, with the bowling ball is just silly. And then you look at what they have too. We talk about the Braves and always celebrate the way they have guys locked up. And I don't think anybody really compares to what they have in terms of locking up your core. But when you look at the Astros, at least for the next three plus years, Jose Altuve is not going anywhere. Jordan Alvarez is not going anywhere. Bregman's not going anywhere. Neither is McCullers. Presley's even locked up. Uh, and, and you go even to, to the younger pitchers, of course. Those guys aren't going anywhere. They're still in their you know, pre-arb or early arb part of their contract. And then even the Luis Garcias of the world, those guys are still early in their arbitration as well. So, I mean, this team is going to be steady for a very very long time uh and, and i don't really see them slowing down anytime soon even kyle tucker has several years of arbitration as well i mean this team is is really in a great spot for sustainable success which they've already been doing yeah really? um, to your point like the the braves you know they're still they're still up there in payroll because they have a lot of guys and they are paying a decent amount of guys but the astros just won the world series and they have a lower payroll than the braves do who are known for their deals, right? And the Astros are right there. And they were the ones to win the World Series this year. And they won 106 games. And it's not like the Braves have been there and they've been close, but the Astros have now been there for a longer period of time and they still have the lower payroll. I just I just wanted to add that too. It's when I looked it up, I was like, the Astros have to be above the Braves, right? No. No, because who are who are they really paying right now? Bregman, Altuve, and uh Yeah. So for next year, you've got Altuve at 29 million, Bregman at 30.5, Jordan's only making like worth it. I mean, they're yeah. completely worth it, right? Yeah. Jordan's only making 7.8. Presley's making 14, but I mean he was phenomenal all year and McCullers, and McCullers is getting paid, at 16. Right? McCullers is making 16 and worth then it. 17 a year or really 18 a year for the next three years after that. That'll be interesting to see how that ages with his fragility uh, to see. I mean, if, if it's going to be worth it for 18 million in 2026, but if that's your one bad contract, you know, a starter who's not always available at less than 20 million, uh, I think you're in pretty good shape. And, and that's the thing is I'm interested to see what they do with, you know, maybe a pre-arb deal for Pena, maybe a deal with Tucker to leverage those arbitration years. And, and they probably will. And they'll really be in control for a long time of a lot of these guys. I, I think we could see them hand out a lot of, you know, Alex Anthopoulos type contracts over the next couple of years uh, between Framber, Javier, you got Pena, and of course, Tucker as well. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what they're going to do this offseason. 
Okay, so before we heat praise on the Phillies, I want to stay there. You're fascinated as to what they're going to do contractually this offseason. Who's going to make those decisions, Arm? Yeah. We talked about this a couple of years or a, a couple of weeks ago. John Heyman with the New York Post, you know, he, he wrote this big thing about this perceived rift between Dusty Baker and James Click. James Click being very analytically driven, the GM of the Astros, Dusty Baker. Uh, not being as analytically driven, but obviously all the guys love Dusty. It feels like Click is the first one to go as opposed to the 73-year-old World Series champion, Dusty Baker. My thought is simple. They have figured out a way to make peace and win a World Series. Do not fuck that up. Yeah. Don't. If James <laughs> Click is gone, um, not only is that a terrible move for the Astros, but my mind starts to race like, Who's safe in their GM or president of baseball operations job? If that guy Cashman seem, appears to be safe, no matter what. Yes, exactly. But like I was thinking the, the untouchables here are Friedman, uh, Eric Neander, but click wouldn't want to go there in Anthopolis. Um, you got guys that are just like instant, like they're not going anywhere like Farhan Zaidi or like a Ross Atkins or, um, you know, th like there are a bunch of names like Dombrowski. that. He ain't going anywhere now. Yeah, Dombrowski's not going anywhere. Like, Preller's not going anywhere. But I'm thinking if I'm an owner and I see what James Click just did and I've got a middling GM, like, if I'm the Boston Red Sox, <laughs> I mean. Here's, here's how I thought about it, too. I think the riff is good. I think the, like, we even talk about it on the show, right? The combining of analytics plus the baseball feel that Dusty Baker brings, it's almost like a perfect match that, you know, in some situations where some teams, they rely so heavily on the analytics that they lose their feel for the game. They lose their feel for playing the right guy and who's hot just because the ex-Woba is a little bit higher third time through the order of this lefty-righty matchup versus this is just our dude right now. I think that mesh is what makes but, the Astros so deadly because you look but, at the Dodgers, you look at some other teams like that who are so analytically driven who you know, get a lot of flack for making the decision that doesn't make a lot of sense because it doesn't feel like it has a lot of feel in it. But the Astros just always press the right buttons. But then again, they are analytically driven. So I think that riff is almost but makes the team better. Well, yeah, if it wasn't a rift. If if they were meshing, then it would work. The problem is they're not, they're not getting long and it's like me or him. Otherwise, yeah, I'm with you. I agree. That's why they just won the World Series yeah, is because of that yeah. balance. Yeah. But and that's what Jack was saying is like, don't mess this up. You have yeah. a really good balance here of analytics and a guy who's been around the game basically longer than anyone that's still in it, you know, at a professional level for a team. If they're that bad, and I think what really ended up disrupting it was quick going out to get guys at the deadline that Baker was like, great. I'm glad you got him. You know, we'll use him if we need him. And then Trey Mancini barely got used. Even Vasquez's usage was not that high thing relative to what click wanted when he gave up prospects for him. Um, and, and I think that really kind of added to the rift. I, I think they can find a way to work this out. Winning the world series makes everything <laughs> easier. And I really hope here's my one thing, Jack, before you chime in on this, I, the only thing I could think is if Jim Crane sees how they've been able to bounce back without Lunhow and say, maybe we don't need, it doesn't matter who the GM is. This is my organization and I know how to run it. And, you know, I'll put somebody else in that spot and we'll win another one. That's my only fear is, is what's the ego like on Jim Crane uh, in, in terms of, does he feel like he can just plug and play somebody else and, and let this thing ride? 
we'll get to the ego on Jim Crane here in a moment because that is a pertinent point that we just discovered a, a what yesterday, right? From passing, but yeah, just like tying a bow on the click thing. This is a perfect mesh if it was healthy, and it's just not healthy apparently. But winning a World Series, being champagne drunk in the locker room, and and having the cleanest dap up of all time, that that heals a lot of relationships. I feel like so. Listen, if if James Click and Dusty Baker had a bro out moment drunk off their asses in the locker room or or on the plane. Um, actually, no, they were in Houston, so they didn't fly anywhere. But like if they had a bro out moment in the locker room, you can have this like come to God moment where you say, listen, I think one way you think another way. This was mutually beneficial. And let's put our differences aside. I got Mancini and Vasquez at the deadline. You used them sparingly, but we won the fucking World Series. Yeah. Okay? Like, this works. I trust you. I'm going to give you the best roster possible. You push the right buttons, and let's go win another. Because that's the end goal. The end goal is not for Trey Mancini to play 60 games in an Astros uniform. The end goal is for Trey Mancini and the Houston Astros to win the World Series. Like. Yeah. That that's the whole idea here. And you saw it in the World Series. I mean, you had Vasquez catch for who? Javier? Vasquez caught a no-hitter in the World Series. Vasquez yeah, was not boy. on the roster in July. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to acknowledge it from both sides. I think Dusty has to swallow a little bit of his ego. Hopefully the toothpick doesn't go with down the gullet. And then I think Click has to swallow a little bit of his ego. And I think winning a World Series, t- seeing this tangible result in front of you is the perfect elixir to do that and overcome these differences and become this healthy mesh of an analytically crazed general manager and a feel-crazed manager. That's my Pretty thing. cool. Pretty cool that Dusty Baker won a World Series, though. That's got awesome. Yeah, and they're sending like, the, I'm not, they're I'm not sending sitting here thinking to the Hall of Fame. I'm not sitting here thinking it's another win for analytics. Thank God James Click won a World Series. Like, I'm fired up for Dusty. I am. And um, that's because you're anti analytics. I'm actually the most pro analytics person. Well, on this also, every every World Series, every team that wins a World Series will be a testament to analytics, though. Like, every team in the front office is, yeah. is very analytically <laughs> hey, driven at this here's point. Here's the thing like, analytics. There's no one that's driven, not. I just like, I just like making driven. fun of it. Analytics uh, and feel are, they're just the same. Like, Good is good, right? You can point to some unbelievable <laughs> analytics for the Houston Astros. Every single World Series winner, you can point to some great analytics that that say, "Hey, this was the best information." Team in baseball. Analytics it's is just information, dude. Like it, it's it's a way to quantify what you express qualitatively. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Dusty Baker's managerial debut. This comes from C. Kamka on Twitter. Christopher Kamka, Chris Dusty Kamka Baker's- with NBC Sports Chicago, the King. The King, Dusty Baker's managerial debut, April 6, 1993, versus the Cardinals. The St. Louis leadoff hitter, Geronimo Pena, Jeremy Pena's dad, who ended up winning the World Series MVP. I love that tweet. I mean, that that fact is that's just incredible. And that shows the longevity of Dusty Baker. And in 1993, he started, and now he's winning world championships still at the age of 73. Shout out, Dusty Baker. Yeah. Uh, roster turnover here. Verlander will probably re- like. I would guess Verlander is just back on like a three year deal with Houston, right? They <laughs> can't let that dude go. Three year deal. I mean, probably. I, right? I don't know. It's gonna look I think like he gets a like a one one, like Again? a one one. Yeah, I, I 
how many, how much longer is he going to do this thing? He I don't said know. 45. He said that, but then I, I saw another interview recently where he was like, yeah, I haven't decided on my future yet. Like whatever. So I, I don't know, man, winning a world series and, and pitching, you know, through a turbulent postseason can, can shift your focus a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder, I do wonder, but I, I think he goes with like a two-year deal with a third option at most. I, I don't see it going more than that, but I mean, what a year for him. It, it's been absolutely unbelievable to see. And he got the win too, which was cool. And also Kate Upton seems super cool. Yeah, <laughs> Just all of the interviews I saw, she was just pretty awesome <laughs> with the way that she was handling it. And I think she said like, who gives a shit about the, him finally getting his first world series win? Cause he's a legend. Uh, like obviously paraphrasing there, but Pretty cool. She's right. He's a legend. And that's another thing you can check off now for Justin Verlander. Those were the two guys, Dusty, Justin, right? Both Hall of Famers, you know, but that was like going to be the one thing like World Series performance, winning a World Series for Dusty, like Verlander, just how is he performing in that in that setting? You can kind of eliminate that for both of those guys. There's no buts for either of them anymore. Yeah. Kate Upton, phenomenal personality. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so Verlander technically off the books. Um, Rafael Montero technically off the books. Oh, that guy might get a hundred million dollar deal. He might be the second reliever with a hundred million dollar deal. He enters free agency for the first time at 32 years old. Um, but Montero off the books, Yuli Gurriel is currently an unrestricted free agent, as is uh Christian Vasquez. So you know, like, do you go for the retention move of Guriel? Do you look to re-sign Montero or do you make an upgrade at first base? Do you, you know, just try and add another reliever? I, I I'm not really Don't sure. Don't forget Brantley too. Brantley's gone as well. Brantley's gone. Yeah, I forgot. I, shit, I forgot. They won the World Series without Michael Brantley. Without Michael Brantley. I, I think they, I, they, it's tough with the Astros, but if they're going to start paying other guys, they could stick internally for, for first base. I, I'm a big fan of Yiner Diaz too, and I think that's a guy that could fit in. They've got ways that they can move guys around too. Do you like, do you like Matijevich, JJ Matijevich? He's another option. He he swung it pretty well. Like I, I think when it comes to first base, they'll figure that out internally. I, I think I, I don't I don't see them spending there, especially if they want to lock up their other guys. And who cares, right? I mean, Yuli Gurriel was was bad all year. He was great in the postseason, which was awesome, and that's what makes baseball so great you can just turn the page and you know be a performer in the postseason but he wasn't good uh so you know I, th- I think he's kind of on his way out he sprained his mcl now too which really sucks going into you know unrestricted free agency so wish him a speedy recovery but yeah i, I could see them really just making a couple small moves and and really focusing on just keeping the group together and, and extending some of these guys to those pre-arb type deals they also have some other assets that i think they got to find homes for like a Jake Myers. What's, what's he going to do? He doesn't have a spot there anymore. Um, Corey Lee. I look at him that they once considered him the future. Maybe he gets a shot next year, but I I could see them being creative with with what they do with a bunch of different guys. And uh, David Hensley, who knows he may, he may keep playing his way into their future as well. If if they're confident enough in and play him in the world series multiple times, maybe he could be a guy that ends up being that, that utility piece for them as well next year. And first base is a position he can play too. Who's the number one prospect right now for the Astros? Like, who's who's their next Jeremy Pena, the twenty-five-year-old from Maine who won the freaking World Series MVP? Like, who is who's next up here for the Astros? Oof, that's a good question. Because I mean, Hunter Brown, Hunter Brown, yeah, Hunter is Hunter now Brown, up. Yeah. Like, these guys have been contributors already. So, like, who is that next guy for them? I, I, I think it's Yiner Diaz. I, I think it's Diaz. 
I yeah. think it's Yiner Diaz. He he rakes like really, really rakes. He's like he does. <laughs> he's he's unbelievably good. I've heard nothing but great things about the way he hits too. And uh, first baseman. Uh yeah. Well, he came up as a catcher, but he's probably gonna end up at first. And and perfect. DH, Just slide right in for Yuli. Like, he's a dude. So no, good. he's a dude. He's a dude. He he hit. 294, 342, 587 in AAA this year, like uh, yeah. 16 home runs in 48 games at that yep. level. Like, the guy, go. the guy rakes. He's probably going to be their future there. And I know they win really the rookie like of the year next year. Probably the rookie of the year next year. Also, you know how we am how we and I am on Pedro Leon too. Dude might have the strongest arm in minor league baseball. I mean, he's stupid good. He can run. Uh, he can. Oh, uh, you like you like uh, Jose Siri 2.0. I love Jose Siri 2.0. You know how much I love Jose Siri. Shocker. Imagine if he could hit. (laughs) Uh, Hey, 800 OPS in in AAA this year for Pedro Leon. What does that translate to big leagues? Probably 500. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll see. Or perennial MVP candidate Pedro Leon. We shall see. Um, Quick moment to heap praise on the Philadelphia Phillies. Who the hell saw this coming? Yeah, I, I did. I slandered this team all year. Uh, he, they were on a no bet list for you, right? Banned them. They were just, they were just too polarizing. And it was, um, it was at the beginning of the year. And I mean, they were losing at the beginning of the year. That's the thing. Like this team was twenty two and twenty nine before they let go of Joe Girardi. I mean, this team was not very good. They had good starting pitching at the top, but the bullpen would blow it every day. I'd watch these games. And you'd expect big leaguers to catch fly balls, but then they wouldn't. But then they just turned it all around and went 65 and 46 and hired Rob Thompson and then just went on this incredible run. And when we were talking at the beginning of the postseason, I said, we all said, they're going to trim the fat. And when the Phillies trim the fat, they are as good as anybody. Um, I picked them to win a few series. I even picked them to win the World Series kind of as a as a crazy upset, but you guys were right in the sense that the Astros just simply outlasted them. Like even when the Astros weren't playing their best baseball, like the Astros on the road in this postseason had like a team OPS, like 570. I mean, Miles Straw had a 564 OPS this year and they still won two games in citizens bank. Like that's just how good they were. They didn't have to play their best baseball. Like I didn't even think they were playing their best baseball against the Yankees and they swept them. Like they are just, they were worlds better, and I thought the Phillies had a little bit more magic in them. I thought that offense would be there, but the pitching was too much. And like we're talking about bullpen guys, whether they're, they're going to bring them back or not. How about another guy like Brian Abreu, dude? That was like the best relief World Series I've ever seen. Yeah, he it was, was he was unhittable when he I, came in. It was done. I'm glad you brought that up. I, there's one thing that stood out to me more than anything ever, uh, and and I was sitting watching the game with with uh, a couple buddies and we watched Schwarber go square to bunt yes. with two strikes with two strikes against Abreu after he just turned 96 into a rocket in the right field. I audibly and laughed out loud when I saw that. I was like, it's actually over. I mean, that's, what? that's literally him saying, I don't feel comfortable at all. And I, it's funny. I was watching that with, with my buddy Griffin uh, who plays in the minor leagues. And I was like, how fucked mentally do you have to be to try that? in that spot after you homered and he goes basically you have to be looking at an aspirin pill like that like you have to literally not be seeing the baseball to try that and he tried to bunt it was a ball he could have pulled back and we would have been like whoa what is he doing but it's a ball it was at his shoulders he tried to bunt it and literally like professional baseball player right next to me saying 
that's a different level of uncomfortable for you to try that as a power hitter. Like there's, there's no world where, where you want to try that. Like, and that really spoke to me. I look at Trent Grisham trying it in yeah. a different way when he was as lost as possible, but I've never seen a guy try it in the same game that he homered with two strikes. I've seen guys try it. Like, Oh, you think I'm going to Homer again, shift me hard. I'll, I'll surprise you and show you everything I got in my bag. This was not that um, testament to Brian Abreu and how freaking gross he is uh what a what a development that guy's been Uh, guys also ryan stanick had one of the lowest eras in the regular season they barely used him they're like we could use him in the fifth or sixth inning if we wanted to just goes to show like if you put ryan presley on any other team which is like he's not in the astros bullpen anymore would it have mattered when he's one of the best bullpen arms in the entire game like that's the thing they can mix and match anybody they want yeah the Phillies, on the other hand, relied on a couple of different guys. And when those couple of different guys didn't show up and weren't elite, it was almost over because we knew that the Phillies just weren't scoring against this team. And Framber, man, Framber, dude, I mean, this guy is just – you can't score. You can't put the ball in the air. It's almost impossible. I I, I was I was literally thinking to myself, and I tweeted out, like, sometimes I think Framber is the best pitcher of all time. Like sometimes I think it's literally he's impossible locked in. I mean, to score it, against this man. It's yeah. pretty impossible. It just, it, what, what I will say though is is the approach on Framber, which is easier said than done, is like work the middle of the field. Don't try and pull it. If you pull it, you're going to go over the top of it, and it's really hard to do because of the way that he paints the bottom of the zone and the way he works that that bottom region. But the guy that had the best swing against Framber, and, and I think a guy that really sold me on on resold me because I was all in on him as a prospect. He had a great rookie year. And then hit the wall, and it's uh-huh. Alec Bohm, right? One of my favorite prospects when he was coming up. I compared him to DJ LeMahieu. I loved the swing. I thought the power would continue to come, uh, and and I just love the approach. We saw what he did in 2020. We, we all we know all about the ebbs and flows. We've talked about them. He finished the year really strong. The defense continued to get better. And I know statistically speaking, the postseason it wasn't the sexiest performance for him. He hit 224, 292, 362. But what I saw from him at bats wise, what I saw from him comfort wise in the big spots, the discipline, both defensively, offensively on that big stage. He was one of the guys that I was hoping to see up at the plate outside of the obvious, you know, outside of their core, you know, mashers. Bohm was the guy that I wanted up there more than Castellanos, more than, you know, some of the other options in the back half of the lineup. Bohm's here to stay, man. And, and this is a big building block for the Phillies who are a little bit older, you know, definitely still have that window. But for the young talent, the young position players, Bohm's a big part of that. This was a huge year for his development to start slow, finish great, get the experience in the postseason, get the experience in the World Series. And I'm really excited to see how Alec Bohm, you know, transitions into next year and continues to build off of this big time 25 year old season. Only Almost. spot you really got to fill is in the middle infield uh, for, for the Phillies next year because you got Schwarber, Hoskins, Real Muto, Harper, Castellanos is the top five. Then you've got Alec Bohm at third. Brandon Marsh, he's the center fielder of the Philadelphia Phillies. I yeah. mean, he proved that this postseason, he's the guy there. Um, and then you've got three middle infielders to plug and play Stott, Edmundo Sosa, Nick Maton at second and short. I like that. Could you get better? Could you pick up Segura's option at second base? You absolutely could. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if they do it or not, but I like this is a team in a really good spot. I think if you're going to spend anywhere, and we know that they're spending already, you got to get more starting pitching because Syndergaard's off the books here. You would like a fourth because you you're obviously going to pick up the club option on Nola. 
you've got Wheeler, you've got Ranger Suarez. After that, it's Bailey Falter. And then as of right now, according to Van Graffs, it's Michael Plassmeyer and Christopher Sanchez. That ain't going to play. But Arm, they do have like some legit pitching prospects in their system. Mick yeah. Abel, Andrew Painter, who I, I want to hear you kind of talk about more because I think Phillies fans are definitely excited for them to come up. But I think the most fascinating question in the Phillies offseason is, do they dip their toes in this incredible shortstop market that is headlined by Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts, and then maybe move Bryson mm-hmm. Stott to second? Yeah. Arm, and I want to hear you talk like about it. Bryson Stott, the prospect at shortstop, because from what I've seen, it seems like the only thing limiting him, because I do think he's a good defender, but I think the arm is a little bit questionable. It's still fine. It's not a bad arm or anything. But do you think it might make sense to go and make the big splash at the shortstop position, move Stott over to second? Because I like Gene Segura, but I just don't know if Gene Segura factors into their long-term plans. Because it's not like Gene Segura, I know he had that big hit in the beginning of the playoffs, but I don't know if... Moving forward, it's like, wow, he just proved everything that he definitely deserves to be the second baseman of the future. He's getting a little bit older. The second base market isn't as vast when you have a guy like Bryson Stodd who could be your second baseman for the next decade and then go get a like a Dansby or a Xander Bogarts. I, I'm ve- I want to hear not only about Bryson Stott as a shortstop prospect, possibly more over a second, but then like what do the Phillies have in reserve and starting pitching? No, I I, lo- I love where you're going there because that's something I was going to float too, right? I mean, I love Segura, and I think it's one of the tougher – usually options are cut and dry, right? Like, no way I'm picking that up, or absolutely I'm picking that up. It's usually not a tough decision. $17 million for Gene Segura is really tough. Ultimately, I-, I say no because of the things that Peter just said. Like, you have the shortstop market that's loaded. You plug Stott over to second. And, and I like Stott's glove. That was probably what the biggest question was – How much power in the glove? He's shown that he can hit for at least big league average power. I think he's got a little bit more, especially with the short porch and right. The glove has gotten a lot better, but his ceiling is limited defensively. The difference between a Dansby Swanson and a Bryson Stott at short, it's going to be very, you know, very wide. Uh, The difference between even some of these other above average defenders for a long time and Stott is going to be, you know, at least noticeable. You move him to second, he's an elite defender. Uh, And you take that 17 million that you save annually from Segura, Put that towards shortstop because they're also, you know, you, you talk about, I don't know how much they committed to Syndergaard. I don't think it was that much in terms of how much they they really ended up taking on there. But uh, you look at Kyle Gibson off the books for $8 million. Uh, You look at some of these other deals. They're, they're going to be either coming off the books cheaper or whatever it may be. They're going to probably free up about $25, $30 million this offseason if they decline that option and then also can move Stott over. Andrew Painter's ready to go, I think, early next year. People were even floating the idea of adding him to the postseason roster, which was ridiculous. Wow. But I-, I think he's going to be ready to go. Wait, Arm, is it ridiculous because you think it's way too early? Or too it's early. ridiculous because it's coming into your mind? You're like, maybe you could because he's that good. I, I deadass think he could have like come out of the pen yeah. and thrown 101 and just like. That's why I'm saying. Is it ridiculous because it he's is still not ready? Or is it ridiculous because of how incredible he is? Both. I think okay. both, <laughs> you know, but I, I would say like they're in a really good spot. And now that you see what Eflin can do, is that a guy that you slide into the rotation? What's cool is they have these malleable pieces. I think Eflin's these... got an option, by the way. Is it it's is it mutual or is it player or uh, is it team? I think it's club. It's... Yeah. So I mean oh, that's it's a... a mutual. It's a fifteen million dollar mutual option. Oh you no. So you turn that down. Yeah. Um <laughs> That frees up another five points. Why the fuck does he have that option? Because he was a starter. 
Jesus Christ. Okay. But you free up another five and a half there then. I'm really interested to see how this all goes, but I I think Peter's on the right track here. I'm with him. Uh, You're going to have that money to commit towards shortstop. Pick up one starter. The market's kind of deep there. You got your youngsters and Mick Abel, and, and they've got other guys too that that all could factor in on the pitching side. I, I like I like what they've got going on here, and, and the Bra- the Phillies are are going to be tough for a little bit. This if isn't a flash I'm, in the pan, in my opinion. If I'm the Phillies, Dansby is number one because not only is, does it add a ton of defense, which the Phillies could definitely use, but you take him from the Braves. I would give him a big big contract He's so funny. Dansby, and who was also is so good like I'm I'm pretty bought in on this kid like I think you know he's the number one overall pick for a reason I don't call him he's 28 yeah I'm younger <laughs> but for some reason he seems younger does he not seem younger than that not at all he seems well, 20 you maybe but I'm actually curious Jack have you seen Mick Abel or Andrew Painter um when you've been calling games like have you been able to watch them head on not in person, but I've watched person, a lot yeah. of Andrew Painter. No, um, I know. I was just curious if you called games like with them and, you know, no, how did he? No. Well, no. get better. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try and work for several minor league teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bounce around. Yeah, yeah. bounce around. <laughs> um, no, so do you like uh, the idea of like a Griff McGarry filling spots for them? Not nah, he He walks too many guys. I think McGarry could be really good, but. He, I think he walked more than more than five per nine last uh, year. Kraus. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So that's the problem. You've got Abel Painter, and we talk about this, you know, the 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 rotational prospects coming, but after Abel and Painter, there's there's not much going on. No, they got they gotta go good. If the Yankees they, had Abel and Painter, like I'd be over the mood. We yeah, but the Yankees Schmidt, have better Garcia than the Phillies do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so, we have all what, short stops, which is great. So what'd you say the rotation is right now? Rotation right, right now. now, it's I it's like they're gonna pick up the option on Nola. So it's it's Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Falter, and then Michael Plasmeyer. Yeah, sign one guy in here. Okay, sign one guy like a, a shorter term deal for one guy. Like, yeah, wouldn't like a Quintana make sense here? A Quintana Absolutely. type guy Bassett. makes sense. Bassett, Bassett will probably command a bit more money than I think they would put towards a starting pitcher. Like Bassett's going to be a three-year deal, right? I think you can get a guy on a two-year deal worth about seven mil annually, like two I years, Tana, 14. Quintana's going to get more than that. You saw how good he was. He was the number one pitcher on the Cardinals. Is Quintana going to get more than two years, 14? Right? Yeah, he'll get more than two fourteen. Yeah, has I think to. So? Bro, Zach Evelyn has a $15 million option. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting more than that. Also, Tana forgot to get a two hundred million dollar deal. <laughs> yes, forgot to Tana's mention to get more than Dansby. Forgot to mention Scott Kingery. He's oh, owed eight yeah. million. He's owed eight point two five million Lord. next year. They tried the pre-arb deal with him six years, twenty four million in twenty eighteen. And uh, if you ever wonder why players take those deals, because we only remember the good players who like end up panning out really well, and like, oh, why did he take that deal? Scott Kingery, it might not work for him. I hope he figures it out. Doesn't look like it's going to. And he's got 24 in the bank because he took that deal. So um, there's an example the other way. Yeah, it's what? It's Kingery. It's Paul DeYoung. Evan White. Evan White, David Bodie, John Singleton. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these. They gave Bodie one of those deals? Yeah, like seven years, 35 or something. Remember that home run? Remember that grand slam? I was going to say, the grand slam, that was it. That, that was, was worth it. it. That was worth it. 
I mean, you paid $35 million for that. That was the most electric home run I've ever that seen. Was, that was absolutely fire. Oh. Brad Hand also freeing up six mil. Five for 15 for David Bodie. So he's got 15. Good for him. He's got a club option at $7 million in 2025. So that's under the bucket of fuck no when I was talking about the, the polarization of Correct. options. Correct. He makes $4 million next year. He makes five and a half in 2024. But um, we, we got to talk about another deal. Edwin Diaz is the first reliever in Major League history to ink a nine-figure deal. First guy at $100 million. And it was, what, five years, $100 million? 102. Uh, 102. 102. Okay, I was going to say nice round numbers, but five for 102 makes it uh, a a little wonky. Uh, All in all, Steve Cohen, this doesn't hurt him. No. Um, They had the funds to do this. If Edwin Diaz was wearing another uniform and they were playing narco at another ballpark, it wouldn't feel right. And Mets fans would be MFing Steve Cohen. Their hands were tied in a great way. It was like, we got to get Edwin Diaz back. They did it. And he has deserved to be the new market setter among relationships. Surely. Yes. So I was, uh, I was at the, uh, uh, Jets Bills game on Sunday and you know we all got the alert and my immediate reaction was what a dumbass move five years 102 like for a reliever remember the Chapman deal how's that working out and it was that was five years 86 and he signed around the same age as Diaz I think it was his, he was a year older um Zach Britton contract Zach Britton at the time almost won the Cy Young award that's how good he was so I thought okay well this contract is another one that's going to age like milk you know he's 28 years old going to be 29 it's a five-year deal for a reliever that relies on really really high velocity like how is that going to work out but then you know I I immediately had that reaction um to my friends who are Mets fans also as well as Jets um and they said it literally doesn't matter like you understand like with Steve Cohen like he he probably made that in the time of the negotiations that it came to make that deal with Edwin Diaz. Like, so it's so tough, right? It's, it's evaluating this contract, like in a vacuum versus if the Minnesota twins signed Edwin Diaz to a five-year $102 million deal, we think, wow, that's going to age horribly. But for the Mets, it doesn't seem to matter. That's why they're playing on a different field. So in Arm, you made that TikTok and, and you were explaining it where if we're comparing it to other teams, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But for the Mets, it doesn't really matter. And, no. you know, th- that's what they were saying to me. And I was like, I guess, yeah, it doesn't matter. Sure. Like, <laughs> for all those on YouTube, I don't even know what Jack's doing right now. The, Steve Cohen paid $141 million for this. foot <laughs> tall statue of a guy that I couldn't even tell you what's going on. Like, there are no facial features. I don't know how old it is. I mean, kind of looks like Andrew Painter. He paid one hundred and forty-one million dollars for a stick for a six-foot-tall stick figure statue. I made something just like that for my mom in third grade. <laughs> yes, exactly with macaroni. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So that's a perfect example, though. And, and I mean, for him, it's it's also from that perspective, it's it's an investment too in the fan base, which I really do think the Mets made big strides in recapturing a lot of the fan base. And I know the Mets fan base is very passionate and they never lost most of them, but, but anecdotally, I, I spoke to a lot of Mets fans throughout the year that said like that this team reeled me back in and and the disappointing postseason, I don't think is enough to, to put them off because th- this was a really fun year to be a Mets fan. And Edwin Diaz was a big part of that. And, and looking at it from that perspective too, how many people were going to the ballpark 
hoping for a save opportunity so that they can, you know, see the whole performance when Edwin Diaz comes in, not only for the entrance, but also on the mound. He was the best show on the mound a lot of days because of how nasty he was and, and how dominant he was. So to, to kind of go off of what Peter was saying, there's a few reasons why I think it's worth it for them, you know, from a business standpoint, from a baseball standpoint. And then beyond that, I mean, it, it's a, it really is about the money and when you have a guy like like Steve Cohen, it's like if Jeff Bezos overpays for the commanders. Is anyone going to give a shit? doesn't matter. Let's say Jeff Bezos pays 30% over asking price. No one's going to be like, oh, what a bad purchase. Yeah. could be the worst purchase ever. It doesn't matter. Uh, there's still going to be a utility from it. It's not like he's it's better than the stick figure purchase. Yeah. The one thing that surprised me, player option 2026, full no trade clause as well. I would have thought that the five-year deal for a reliever would be enough, but you know they they really had to sweeten the deal here and there with the player option and the full no trade clause, which that's a lot for a reliever. And it was sixteen million more than the other highest. Aroldis Chapman, five years, eighty-six. This was five years, one hundred two. It wasn't eighty-seven million. It wasn't the Francisco Lindor one more million dollar than Fernando Tatis. You know, it was funny. I was like. Um, Because I was arguing back and forth with these Mets fans. I was like, if you're going to pay him the most money, why not give him five years, 90? And then they made a funny joke. It was like, I bet in the negotiation room, Steve Cohen goes up to Edwin Diaz. is like, let's flip a coin. If if it's tails, you get five years, 87. If it's heads, you get five years, 102. And Edwin Diaz is like, sure. And then it probably still landed on the side of Edwin Diaz. He's like, you know what? Screw it. I just made another $12 million in the time that we did. We were flipping the coin. So I'll just give it to you anyway. Like, that's why I was just like, what's the point here? of just way overpaying, but then again, it's Steve Cohen and he has all the money in the world. So whatever, I, it, it'll probably work in the first two seasons. I'm just, I was, I was telling him, I was like, let's revisit this in 2025 and see where Edwin Diaz's velocity is at and see if like you still rely on him in the playoffs. Problem is, what are you going to do? Offer him, yeah. offer him two years for 66. And when he yeah. says <laughs> no to that, cause he wants a yeah. five-year deal, you say exactly. like, Damn, because when he puts together another reliever of the year season next year, yeah. Mets fans are going to be looking at you like, you piece of shit. You let this guy walk? But we know that, like, we've done this. We've recorded about 340 just baseball show uh, was project to play. Like, one of the main themes of what we talk about is reliever contracts and how relievers grow on trees and that you can get, you can kind of plug and place relievers um, and grow them. But <laughs> I don't know. Edwin Diaz doesn't grow on trees. Let's yeah. make that no, you're right. very you're right. Clear. You're right. Um, yeah, he does. He's Andres Munoz. It's, it's um, a good point. <laughs> eight of the top 10 relievers in F4 in baseball this year made 2.6 million or less. And and several more of those made the minimum. I will say those were pre-arb though. But but that's kind of my point is, you know, most when when they're not when they're not in pre-arb or when they're not in arbitration anymore, then you just recycle and do it again. Like it's, it's only some organizations that can do that though. Right. Like you got orgs, like the, I mean, even the Mets, they haven't really developed bullpen arms the way some other teams have. And I think acknowledging that it's important to lock up your guys. If you're the Astros, if you're the Rays, if you're the guardians, if you're some of these other teams, unless it's a really team friendly pre-arb deal, like class a, you, you don't need to lock those guys up. But I will say like the Mets, how many relievers have they really developed? So I can understand the, the even more Seth willingness Lugo. to to lock those guys up. So Seth Lugo, yeah. <laughs> did they even develop him? Where did he come from? That I that think they did develop Seth curveball. I think Seth Lugo's just kind of been hanging around in in New York slash you think Syracuse. He's a Mets slash... Hall of Famer? You think he's a Mets Hall of Famer? 
I hope so. I <laughs> yeah. I was at Tom Glavin's jersey retirement with the uh, with the Mets, That's and uh, they gave him like a speedboat. I hope they give Seth Lugo a speedboat. That'd be yeah. So Seth hard. Lugo came up. He was a thirty fourth round pick out of Centenary College of Louisiana in Shreveport, Louisiana, That's in twenty eleven. That's a big twenty eleven. He had yeah. a five five seven ERA at Centenary. <laughs> That's good scouting. That um, is good scouting. Now he's got like a four ERA at the bigs. I mean, it's really impressive, honestly. <laughs> Given where he was, that's insanely impressive. What, what I will say is, um, I don't know, Arm and I, you you and I were both talking to Taylor Davis. Again, you know, catcher that's had a cup of coffee in the bigs with with the Cubs, with the Pirates, uh, I think with Baltimore as well, um, and, and Taylor, previous guest on the Just Baseball show. But um, he made a great point to us. He said, the the best players at each position have this burden not only to, to get generational wealth, but to reset the market. And, and that's what Edwin Diaz just did. He reset the market. You look at it in football. Lamar Jackson, he's going to reset the market this year, right? Like the the true dual threat quarterback, they're all going to point to the Lamar Jackson contract next time they hit the negotiating table. Um, like, that's the thing, man. So Emmanuel Classe, when his deal's up, or you know Devin Josh Williams, Hader. maybe when his deal up, or or the next big reliever deal, whoever's in line for a massive payday, they're not pointing to Rysel Iglesias. They're not even pointing to Araldis Chapman anymore. They're pointing to the Edwin Diaz deal and saying yes. that's what that guy got. Compare me to him, and you tell me my value. Because I think I'm close to that. It's it's such a good point, Jack. Because do you think Steve Code did that on purpose a little bit? Yeah, just drive the price else? up for everybody yeah. else. The price up for class <laughs> A. Pay, it, pay your best reliever 102 million. It's only going to hurt you. It ain't going to hurt me. That's the thing, man. I mean, like you, you look at these super max deals for um, like NBA guys. Like you look at what joke what Jokic just got paid, and like Morant. I mean, Morant was salivating when that happened. Right when 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 Manyama gets in the league, he's going to be looking at some of these mega deals, and he's going to say. All right. As soon as as soon as I can sign this max, I'm I'm in, man. Let's go. Like that's that's the thing. I mean, you you push the boundaries each chance you get if you're the best at your position. Edwin Diaz is the best relief pitcher in baseball. He needed to push the boundaries financially of what was seen as plausible for a reliever. And Steve Cohen blew past that with a hundred and two yeah. million dollar deal. So now it's on everybody else. It's on this new ownership group with Cleveland to pony up and play and pay class A when he, when he hits the open. Well, you got paid already. Yeah, that's true. When did he get he paid? got paid already? You got the pre-arm. Emmanuel class A got the pre-arm. Yeah. Where were you? When the fuck did this happen? Where were Five you years, watching? 20 mil King with two club options on the back end for when 10 million. When did this happen? You didn't know we were you under a rock. You're kidding me. I was yeah, probably, so man, I have no idea where I was. The breakdown on the Class A deal, which is crazy. I mean, and again, like to to, to make the point because everyone's probably like, "Whoa, why did he? Why did they take that? Why would he take that?" Look at Scott Kingery. Who knows what can happen to your arm? Who knows what can happen anyway? He makes one point five next year, two point five in twenty twenty four, four point five in twenty twenty five. Then he makes six million in twenty twenty six. Then on the back end, two club options at 2027 and 2028 for 10 mil each, which they'd presumably pick up unless he falls flat on his face. So he'll hit free agency at age 30 and still have an opportunity to sign a pretty nice deal if he's still doing what he does. 
perfect deal for both sides. And, and that's that's what Cleveland did. He signed this shit on April 7th and nobody fucking talked about it. What? I, think I had no idea. It. That's crazy. I think, I, thought, I, I think you literally recorded an episode on it, dude. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. I, I bet my life we did. I'm sorry, guys. I'm letting the team down. <laughs> it's good. It's good radio, though, to, to go over it and have you kind of confused. He can uh, earn three million in escalators as well. I feel very Mike Francesa like right now. Where I say <laughs> just forget it. <laughs> Damn. I'm going to dig up a text of you like shooting to me like, wow, what an interesting deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just look up Emmanuel Class A in your iMessages. And yeah. I bet Jack on April 7th is like, Emmanuel Class A signed the pre arm deal. Let's like Jack, Jack sent me actually like a. Jack sent me a full page of analysis on the deal. Actually, he just doesn't remember it. I think you wrote an article. Okay, I'm gonna. I guess I'm due for a nap today. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what Burned else we it. got to hit? Um, I don't know what else we got. I th- should we talk about Jose Arquiti for Wilson Contreras? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we could circle back and wrap a bow on that whole thing. Um, yeah, Jeff Passan reported that there was a one for one deal agreed upon by front offices between the Cubs and the Astros, which was. Jose Arquiti straight up for Wilson Contreras. You might think, wait, those players are nowhere near comparable. Well, yes, of course. But Wilson Contreras was an expiring free, you know, expiring player that was about to be a free agent. So it was two mid-level prospects, you know, or maybe one fringe top 100 prospect, or Jose Arquiti. What I will say is we can talk about whether they should have done it or not or whatever. And I think both teams theoretically should have done it. But you guys brought up a good point about Martin Maldonado, which I'll let you guys get to that. The one thing I will say is I think it's indicative of what the Cubs are planning to do and what the Cubs view their timeline as. And that's the one thing I took away from that is when they were making trades a year and a half ago, two years ago, they were going for low-level prospects in the highest upside possible. Look at the U Darvish return. It was a bunch of 18-year-olds. You'll get a bunch of the other trades that they made. It was a bunch of teenagers. Now they're looking at Jose Arquiti, a guy that they could have plugged straight into their rotation next year. A lot of the other players that they've been looking at seems like it fits more the timeline of competing next year or the year after that, I think the Cubs are going to be kind of kind of sneaky with what they're going to do this offseason. And, and I do believe that the Cubs window is in the next two years and, and they're going to try to be competitive next year. But crazy that the Astros owner was the one that ended up reportedly nixing the deal. Yeah, the reason um, I, what what shot out to me the most about it was, yeah, firsthand, you, you think to yourself, well, who's better, Wilson Contreras or Jose Arquiti? And Wilson Contreras is an all-star catcher, really good behind the plate, but even the bat is the bat is really what you're buying. For Jose Arquiti, who, you know, if he was never on the Astros, I don't think they would have noticed. And it's not because Jose Arquiti isn't good, but it's just it speaks to their depth, the starting pitching and, and their bullpen. But I think really what it was is this team is in love with Martin Maldonado. They don't even need him to hit. The way he can mold a starting rotation the way he can act as a second pitching coach that's what arm said um in pre-recorded i i couldn't agree more and that's why i wanted to use that they value his defense so so highly that they this is at least my thinking here that they felt that they were trading martin maldonado and jose arquiti for wilson Contreras. um so when they got christian vasquez click might have been thinking yeah we're going to use vasquez a lot but i think dusty seeing what Martin Maldonado does for a friend or does what a, for a Christian Javier does for a Luis Garcia does for a Hunter Brown does for Jose Arquiti. He thought to himself, we can't use this guy. This guy is so much more valuable than what the stats might say. And again, like Jose Arquiti, 
He's not the sexiest pitcher in the world. He's but a in starter, 2019, though. 395 ERA. 2020, 273. 2021, 362. 2022, 394. He's never had a season above a four ERA. Like, I think it's kind of funny to make fun of him because he doesn't look like the best pitcher in the world. But on any other team, we're like solid, serviceable big league starter. Exactly. Like, he's 617 pounds. He doesn't throw hard, but he gets outs. Like, he is a solid starting pitcher that you're trading for an expiring catcher. So if you just look at the name value, you think to yourself, well, that was dumb. Why didn't the Astros do that? But then if you take context into it, it's like, I totally understand why they didn't do it. I, I really do. So welcome to the Houston Astros, where a billionaire is concerned over a guy that hits like a buck 70. Right. Hey, we but can't take this. Right. He's kind of right. Uh, and, and they're into it, man. I mean, Houston's becoming a cast of characters with with Click and Dusty, but also like Jim Crane and fucking Mattress Mac. I mean, yeah. oh my God. The I've, Houston Astros have it right. I, I can't decide if I've had enough of Mattress Mac right now. I like I, him. I, I like, like him, him but I can't, I don't know if I don't know if I've had enough yet. Uh you know I why know. I like him? Because you know because he gambles and you gamble? No, it's not Sorry, even you that, don't but gamble. it is you it not is gamble. it is it is sort of because of that. Because in the gambling sphere, you know, there's a lot of scumbags. There's a lot of people who claim that they bet this much money and then they you really don't. No, I am a not gambler. You know, I'm a not Fair. gambler. Yeah. Um. But with Mattress Mac, he seems so pure. Like he's yeah, he like such seem a nice pure. guy too. And he's not like scummy. He's not in your face. He just roots for his team. And then on the outside makes the biggest bets in the history of gambling. And a genius and marketer. Million. Genius marketer. Genius. So it's like, yes. Is he all over your social media screen? Yes. Does yeah, you got to tip your cap though. Because every single media wants to just push him yeah. out there and, and show how amazing this is. But frankly, no, it right. is amazing. And at least I feel, and maybe this is untrue, but I haven't heard anything bad about him. That he does seem like, like a really nice guy. No, it seems and like I think, it. and I think it's like a, it's a fun thing too. So while no. it's a lot, I do, I do enjoy. Me well, you know why it's 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 fucking a lot because the Astros are always in it, and then he exactly. can always do this fucking promo. He's yeah. so lucky that he this baseball team right there is a fucking dynasty. Um, last thing I'll say on Arkady though is that they'll probably re like look into trades trading him again right like th- th- he is so not essential for them and i, I assume he's still he, good but he probably wants to start for them he's a middle reliever you know luis garcia is a guy i'm putting in the rotation before him obviously you know a couple other guys i'd put hunter brown in the rotation before urquidy so how can you not he looks like mini verlander so who are they going to shop him for how are the astros going to somehow turn urquidy and jake myers and somebody else and somebody else into another really good player and and ruin and ruin it uh, for everybody else. But um, I'm interested to see how that's going to go. And it's interesting because I think we're going to have a lot of really good coverage through through the off season. We're working on our free agent profiles. We're working on our our top 25 free agents with predictions and all of that good stuff, uh, which is all going to be live at justbaseball.com. Uh, but we're already kind of seeing the stove get rolling. I mean, to see the the Diaz deal done, we even saw a trade, Sam Hilliard going from the Rockies to the Braves, which doesn't really matter, but a trade happened. Like we're already seeing the stove heat up. And again, like as Jack alluded to in the beginning of the episode, this is where we really have fun, where we really feel like we can thrive with our coverage. And uh, we'll have you all, all off season long with no walkout in between covering, you know, the free agency trades and basically everything you can want from an off season.
I am in a toot our horn, our own horn right now. I think we play the what if game as well as anybody out there. <laughs> we love playing the what if game. And, and that is what, what the best, off season is. Hypotheticals. What? That's where we're best. I think hypotheticals. Yeah. I love the <laughs> hypothetical. So like, um, we're, we're wrapping up the top 25 free agents tomorrow. Peter, I'm telling you what, what I would like to talk about on the episode tomorrow. I, I have written up Dansby Swanson and Xander Bogarts in the last 24 hours. I would I like to talk wait. about the, the free agent shortstop mark. I would like to key in on those guys. If you want to read those two articles, we'll talk about those two articles. Get That's reached. what we can do. We've got so much editorial stuff happening at just baseball. We've got, we're going to have 30 off season outlooks for 30 teams. And we're going to have 25 full free agent looks. So we're going to be bringing on writers all off season to talk about what they've done because they are spending the hours doing the the digging. So you do not have to, and you just have to go read a seven minute article and we're going to have them on to have conversations. Um, lots of interviews this off season, oh, yeah. uh, lots of good conversation with players, players like conversing when they ain't got shit to do. And guess what? They ain't got shit to do in the off season. So you're going to hear from players um, and shit. And man. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it, but we might have the greatest interview ever on in baseball history, possibly coming soon. Oh, we'll see. That's all I'm going to say. We shall see. Um, but yeah, I just baseball is going to thrive this offseason. And uh, if if you're a fan of the stove, no other spot. I agree. And uh, still doing some football stuff, too. So if you're interested in any football stuff, obviously not gambling advice. We have our Just Gridiron TikTok page as well. Um, possibly some basketball stuff maybe in the works, too. College basketball. I know Jack and Arm love the NBA, love college basketball a little bit more than me. Um, so it's going to be a great off season full of coverage. Um, we're planning on doing the just baseball show. We've gotten a lot of questions. Um, and also we got a lot of DMS too, just saying of, um, how, you know, we were able to kind of help bring you closer, the listener to the game of baseball. And like these, these, some of these DMS just made me tear up and they were talking about Jack and arm too. I mean, it was just, it was great to see. And, um, we're going to keep doing it. We're probably going to do four episodes a week instead of the five, maybe take one off day. It's most likely going to be, um, us three on a Friday episode, um, Jack and arm coming at you on Mondays. Um, Jack and I coming at you on Tuesdays, off day, Wednesday, arm and I probably doing Thursdays. And then the three of us on Fridays, ton of off season coverage. Like we're not going to stop and we hope you don't stop listening. And we greatly appreciate you listening And our code for merch is still live October 15. Uh, get yourself some just baseball merch. It's getting a little chilly. How about getting yourself a little sweatshirt? Maybe new a, hoodies. Maybe a long sleeve. New hoodies. New hoodies just got in. New hoodie drop. Check that out through the link in our in our episode description. So we got everything coming for you. And with that, thank you everybody. <laughs> <laughs>